0: stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge.
1: Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And today I'm joined by Kevin Cook, Zach's senior strategist and host of his own podcast called The Mind Over Money to discuss the anatomy of manias and bubbles. Why do we buy Bitcoin? Why do we want to? Why are we buying pot stocks? Although those are kind of out now, but some people still got to be buying those. What makes us do it? And how can we use those same impulses to avoid some investing mistakes instead of making them? And first off, when I was preparing to do this podcast, when I asked Kevin to do it with me, um, I had to get out my guide to all of this stuff. Um, And I haven't looked at this book in 10 years since the housing bubble, but I still had it on my shelf, of course, and there was no need to until now. But I had to get it out, and it's called Manias, Panics, and Crashes, A History of Financial Crises, and it's by Charles Kindleberger- He's pretty famous. Unfortunately, he died in 2003. This is the fourth edition that I have, and that one was reissued in 2000 when the dot-com mania was going on. He was still uh, with it to the end, and he was on a lot of TV shows, and everybody was going to him for his commentary about the dot-com boom and what you know history tells us about these booms because this is a history of the financial crises and what kind of goes into manias, and how they all have similar characteristics. So, of course, I had to whip this out again because the Bitcoin situation, cryptocurrencies, is reminding me a lot of what, what went on in this book. I hate to say it, but it is. Um, so, yeah, I was looking around, and he starts off by leading off about what manias are, and he talks about what the the Minsky model is, and that's where there's a displacement in the beginning. So it's some kind of event Or um, possibly new technology with like a railroad or the technology of the internet. Um, Or now we're seeing with blockchain and these cryptocurrencies, some kind of event starts it off and then um, it kind of develops from there. You also have some other common trends of bank credit expansion, some kind of financial liquidity expansion, which I do have to say, Kevin, you're nodding your head because we have had that since the Great Recession. Obviously, the global central banks have been pumping money into the economy. And a lot of people kept wondering, when is that money going to show
0: up somewhere? Not not only are interest rates still low, so so money's cheap and abundant, but you have the stock market wealth effect yes people are doing well because of they have some cash sitting around yes
1: so that's also one of the features of mania but i saw some interesting like quotes in the book that i think are kind of interesting you know a lot of people are talking about like euphoria and this being the top of the bitcoin but i don't see how that could be even when you just look at the history of the other manias and bubbles and things
0: because it's so young y- you mean yeah
1: like we're not yet even close to that euphoria stage which is an actual stage so you get an urge to speculate, and so we're, we're in that now. Mm-hmm. You have the easy credit, so we also have that. And then it says, after a time, increased demand presses against the capacity to produce goods or the supply of the existing financial assets. Prices increase, giving rise to new profit opportunities and attracting still further firms and investors. Positive feedback develops as new investment leads to an increase in income that stimulates further investment and further income increases. At this stage, we may well get what Minsky called euphoria. Speculation for price increases is added to investment for production and sale. If this process builds up, the result is often, though not inevitably, what Adam Smith and his contemporaries called overtrading. So I don't think we're there yet that would be much more the pure speculation phase of things but um he has some interesting quotes in here about what gets you there So he says, as firms or households see others making profits from speculative purchases and resales, they tend to follow. So this is the monkey see, monkey do kind of thing. And then he says, in my talks about financial crisis over the last decades, I have polished one line that always gets a nervous laugh. And here it is, quote, there is nothing so disturbing to one's well-being and judgment as to see a friend get rich, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we're seeing that now, Kevin, because you hear all these stories like, I bought Bitcoin three months ago and I just paid off my student loans. And then a lot of people start looking around and saying, well, gee, why can't I do that? And how dare, you know, Johnny across the hall pay off his student loans and I still have mine.
0: Now that quote was from the author of that book? Yes. Oh, that, from the actual that off, is so author spot himself. on. Yeah.
1: Um, it, and that's what he's He used over the years. And what do
0: we call that now? We call that FOMO, which stands for the fear of missing out. That's right. And that's why people chase prices and buy the highs in this it's an emotional impulse. Right. Because oh my gosh, I'm missing I'm missing the fun, I'm missing the party, I'm missing the train. Right. I gotta get on board. Right. And I actually have a story
1: about that. Um that illustrates that perfectly. So when I was in college, I worked as a clerk at a hotel gift shop um, in the Chicago suburbs. It was like a holiday in Crown Plaza or something. So we had a lot of big weddings and like conventions and all that. So the gift shop, you know, we sold a lot of gift shoppy type stuff, magazines and candy and stuff, but we also had lottery tickets in there. So we had a machine where you could buy the actual lotto tickets and I had nothing to do with that. You just put your money in and you mm-hmm. get the ticket out. But we also sold the scratch off ones and I had to distribute those. If someone wanted one, I sold it to him. So one guy came in on a weekend. He was a, a guest at a wedding. He just was bored, I guess, and strolled into the gift shop and bought one of the scratch offs. Now I had seen the usual scratch off amounts like $25, $50, and we always paid it out to the person like right there out of the kitty basically in the gift shop. But this time the guy scratched it off and they almost always scratch it off like in front of you for some reason, but they, they did And He scratched it off right there and it was a thousand dollar one. And I was even like, whoa, like you just won a thousand dollars, dude. And we're like high-fiving in the store because he was alone. He wasn't with anybody and we were like super into it. So I was like doing up all the paperwork and he-
0: I see where this he, is he going. left.
1: <laughs> yes, he went into the wedding and then literally within like five minutes, there were like 50 people in the store- Buying the scratch off (laughs) things. And I was like, don't you know, like the odds of you getting the thousand is like pretty low because I'd worked there pretty long and I hadn't seen anyone else win anything over than the 50. And there's only limited numbers of them anyways throughout the entire system. So, but in your mind, like all those yeah. people are like, he just won a thousand dollars. I could too. In
0: uh, in behavioral finance, they'd have a couple of labels for that. They'd either call it the recency bias. Well, something just happened. Yes. So it, it must be happening all the time. Right. Or the availability heuristic, like whatever is most prominent in my mind right now, you know, must be going on and I must have a good chance at it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, we sold a lot and nobody won. No, nobody won anything over than the 50. I think I sold like one or two of the 50. So, those people were happy because, you know, that's not so bad. But yeah, it was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. So, I feel like the Bitcoin, we're kind of seeing some of these things happen. And what makes me a little bit worried is just the average kind of person who doesn't know anything getting. Sucked into it, because mm. that's what happens in every mania. We saw it with Beanie Babies, with baseball cards, with the tech stocks. You know, when grandma was buying the tech stocks, that was not good. They, you know, had no revenue or anything. She didn't even know what they did. She was trading them fine <laughs> until it wasn't so fine. And then, I don't know, I'm, I'm starting to get an emails from friends. And, like, I had a cousin who just emailed me yesterday asking about Bitcoin. She has never asked me about a stock That makes me nervous. (laughs) I'm like, what? you know, I know about stocks. Why are you asking me about Bitcoin? I don't think she knows anything about Bitcoin either. That's why she was asking me. That's
0: called get-rich-quick-itis.
1: Yeah. So um, I'm worried about that. And then you have these stories of people. Okay. So what happens now, Kevin, with people who were in earlier, they have big gains in, let's just say, in the Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them are cashing in and good for them and paying off the student loans or whatever they're doing with it the ferrari or whatever but what what is the lure of getting back in cuz i feel like that is yes. or even for anyone who's not in it of getting like in way late there's a lot of stories over history of the people who have gotten in In late or who Yeah,
0: well you and I were talking before. Tell your story about Isaac Newton.
1: Yes. Okay, so everyone knows Isaac Newton. He was a genius scientist, obviously, and he is famous for one other thing, but in a bad way, actually. (laughs) So um yes, so he decided to get into the South Sea Company craziness in 1720s. When all that was going on, and that was a massive bubble, so he sold on April twentieth, seventeen twenty. He sold out of his shares of the South Sea Company for a hundred percent profit of seven thousand pounds, which was a huge amount of money, <laughs> seventeen twenty. So he wasn't messing around. That's,
0: that's probably like a million dollars today. Yes,
1: he wasn't messing around. He mm-hmm. he really joined all in on that on that speculation, but. Later on, as it kept going, because you almost can never time the top of a mania or a bubble correctly. He, of course, was feeling left out by that <laughs> right. point, right? And he decided to get back in. Now, he had all that good result, and you always feel like a genius when you make some quick, easy money, kind of in that way. And so he's still bullish, and he put in an even larger amount, and it did turn out to be the top. And he ended up losing 20,000 pounds by the end. And then he does have that famous quote we were talking about earlier where he said, quote, I can calculate the motions of the heavenly bodies, but not the madness of people. I used that
0: quote in my first behavioral finance article that I published in 2008. I used that opening quote. Because it's you know here is a brilliant man right yes <laughs> you know we stand on the sho- on his shoulders for physics and and he he was even caught up in it and admitted it and what's right. funny about it is this was a century after the tulip bubble right With yes the Dutch yes. tulip bubbles in the early 1600s yes yeah.
1: <laughs> yes so yeah they they knew about that one but they still get sucked in and there's numerous other bubbles and especially in like speculative. He calls them. Um, let me look here.
0: Well, for for the you think about the South Sea Bubble. Yes, this was a this was a case that had those elements of, it's new territory, it's new technology, yes. it's new economic expansion. So it must be different than, right. than tulips. It's different this time,
1: right? <laughs> so he has a whole like subsection in one of the chapters on the objects of speculation. So a lot of people that are out there mocking the Bitcoin or just like confused by it um, should take a look at some of these lists. He actually has a bigger list. In the appendix, which I didn't, even, I'm not even going to look at because that's even bigger. But it starts off with um, metallic coins from the Holy Royal Roman Empire. Apparently, those were popular. But in 1618 and 1623, then you have tulips, you have British government debt, you have import commodities. We forget about this, like spices from India because they were so rare, those were speculated in. You also had speculation in sugar and coffee. You had cotton in the 1800s. You had wheat in 1847. Then you had the canals in 1793, 1820s, and 1823 in multiple countries had canal speculations. You had just basically foreign mines you had U.S. mutual funds, like with the Japanese shares in the 1980s. You had many building sites. Like people forget about the mania in land in Florida in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. People were selling literally swamp land down there. In and Mississippi
0: I, too. Yeah, and
1: yep. in, in several states in the U.S., there were these various land manias, but this has been going on for several hundred years. There's been manias in agricultural you know, land it, too. It
0: was Carl Icahn, who a couple of weeks ago, made the Mississippi analogy. Yeah. He says, what's going on in Bitcoin is like, Mississippi (laughs) swampland. Yes.
1: And then we had railroad shares, various of those over the years for the railroad, because that was the new technology there. Also, land associated with railroads had kind of a mania, too. Coppers had a mania several times. Gold, obviously. Remember, it rose from $200 at the beginning of the 1970s to $800. Or no, this is in the nineteen. 79 to $850 mm-hmm. a year later. And that's when I knew <laughs> my parents and my uncles and stuff were running out and buying like same women's here. jewelry, all this people yep. forget. You'd gold go, hoarding. <laughs> yeah. You, and then you'd go into like, there were gold parties. I was kind of expecting that to happen again after the great recession, but it didn't really happen that same way. Not in the mania phase at least. And then, like I said, there's been many new industry type of manias including the railroads and then the technology shares in the dot-com bubble in the late 1990s everyone knew the internet was going to be big but no one knew exactly which areas of the internet so the bitcoin doesn't seem like anything new
0: no it's the same thing it's definitely not anything new what's uh you know i did my podcast last week in in advance of the first futures contract on on bitcoin which was launched by the cboe on uh, this past Sunday. I did a podcast last week, I wanted to give like lessons for people who'd never traded futures. And so I put this thing together and it all of a sudden became 12 lessons (laughs) 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 before you trade Bitcoin futures. But my first lesson was bubble in progress. I just wanted to warn everybody. Yeah, just looking back at history and the history you and I just recapped in the past 10 minutes and everything I've seen in trading, this has all the conditions of a bubble. That doesn't mean it's the top yet, though. Right. And, and you asked me a moment ago, you said, um, you know, do people who've been in for a while that have taken profits, do they all of a sudden feel like, oh, I got to get back in? Yeah. I, I, I can't miss it. Are they going
1: to do an Isaac Newton? They, that might become a
0: verb. They already have been
1: Isaac Newton. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yes. You've Newtoned yourself. <laughs>
1: right. I'm going to start the, that.
0: They already are doing it. Okay. And, and so, so. They can't help you know, it. I, How could
1: you get yeah. out now while it's still. Going up.
0: I did my, I started, <laughs> I did a couple of podcasts in November on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so, you know, I forced myself to learn as much as I could. Then I also started trading them in, in, this, in the spot okay. market. And that gave me a sense of what was going on and having lots of different conversations and seeing people who, you know, owned Bitcoin from a thousand and let it go at two thousand and kicking themselves. And and nobody yes. wants to repeat that. Um, mostly I traded uh Bitcoin's little brother called Litecoin, which is a- You were going to
1: talk to me about this one. Yeah.
0: This is a sort of a derivative of the Bitcoin technology. Um, It's meant to piggyback off of it. um, And it was designed for faster transactions and lower cost transactions because it can do some things outside of the normal blockchain, what they call the Lightning Network. Now, I'm not going to get into all the technical details of that, but the main thing was um, you could buy it under $70. So I started buying it in November, you know, $70, $80. And just in the past 24 hours, Tracy, this thing has gone from, well, let's say the past 36 hours, from $150 to $400.
1: What? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds rational. <laughs>
0: and I would like to say that I kept all of my $80 Lite coins all the way up to $400. But of course I didn't. I, I kept selling on the way up. But two things are happening. I read the message boards and I watch the price action. In the price action, this is more than retail. Okay. I, I can tell by the volume, and the amount of money going through here—you know, billions of dollars per day—that this is hedge funds and Asia. Meaning, when I say Asia, it's a, probably a lot of Asian retail customers and Asian funds of some kind. So there's, there is, and I watched the volume in Litecoin—you know, for the past month—and the daily volume would just keep rising by the billions. So the transaction volume is incredible there is serious money pushing this up, which which makes all the people who bought it really cheap want to get back in, right? So, right. so that's definitely a phenomenon that's going on. And this could keep going. I mean, I'm looking at uh, Bitcoin, you know, has had some volatility. It's, it's back above 18,000 as we talk. Yeah. And Litecoin is, you know, around 350. So, and there's a bunch of other coins too, but it's still drawing people in. Now, now what, what's different what isn't different i would say there is definitely new technology here you and i have talked about the blockchain we acknowledge that there is definitely new technology as the platform for this right so now i'm not saying that justifies the bubble prices right but there's also this sense and this is the the element that i really focus on is that if it is a new asset class and i just don't mean the possibility of being a new currency but you know, a store of value, a form of exchange, lots of different things. Yeah. That it could be. I mean, one guy called it a platypus. It's like when we, when they found the platypus, we didn't know what it was. You know, <laughs> right? You know? right. Uh, mammal, amphibian, what? And that's kind of where we are with Bitcoin. So it could. So it is a new asset class. And what it what it's doing to the common person is it's, or even the the expert, it's it's creating this sense of revolution. Hey, right. we're in this monetary revolution. You know, some people think right. it's gonna it's gonna take down the banks. I think that's a little far-fetched. The banks will adapt and, right. and use blockchain, and and the U.S. dollar is not going anywhere anytime soon. But there's still that sense, oh my gosh, the freedom of having a decentralized currency, and I can pay you for something around the world and have no intermediary. I mean, that's a that's really appealing to people. And even if they don't understand it and they're never going to use it, four payments, they want to own the asset because they think, oh, it's only going to go higher. Right. If there's only 21 million bitcoins that can be mined, right. And in the case of Litecoin, there's there can only be 84 million. 84 million is the cap for for Litecoins, okay. and there's about 55 million already mined of Litecoin. So the, this limited supply people want to be part of that right it's like right. the most unique revolution and then they see somebody making money you yeah. know somebody's somebody just just listen to me oh you bought litecoin at 80 and you wrote it to 400 yeah but it was a small amount of money you know was, right. so i'm not you know i didn't get rich off you're this you're
1: not retiring too. And,
0: and i don't know i don't yeah and i don't, <laughs> and I don't know if i could repeat that right? Yeah, I mean, right this is you know even traders are are having a hard time getting in here because it just it just keeps going up
1: yeah i saw an example from um, the charles mckay book from way back, called the Memoirs of Extraordinary Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. Oh, yeah. so he gives gives an example of a guy named Martin who was a banker. and he subscribed to five hundred pounds worth of the South Sea stock in the third subscription list. So, that mania had been going on for pretty long to be in the third group of people being allowed to get in there. And that was in August of 1720. And what he said, how he justified it was, and this is a quote, when the rest of the world are mad, we must imitate them in some measure, unquote. Hey, That's kind of where we are. I'll be honest
0: with you. I cannot. I do fundamental analysis on stocks just like you do. And we sort of pride ourselves on that. And even if we can't go, go visit the company or interview the CEO – we try and find the best information we can and yes. really do our due diligence. Sometimes yes. we buy the stock first and then do a bunch of due diligence <laughs> later, but we still do our fundamental homework yes. and, and the best we can. You can't really do that with no. this. There's no fundamentals to look at. It's, it's So I will admit that I have been doing what that guy just said. I have been betting on the madness as a <laughs> yeah. speculator yeah. that I know that, that money is going to take this higher and, the, and what what sealed the deal for me understanding that was the hedge fund manager Mike Novogratz who just opened a new hedge fund Galaxy Investment Partners he said hey the herd is coming and what he means is that more and more institutions are going to come more and more people are going to come and you really can't pick the top of these prices B- right. bitcoin could be you know 50,000 next year right and and there's not much to stop it if people believe that it has this future value.
1: Yeah. One of the interesting hallmarks of a lot of these bubbles in the book, that the examples that Kindleberger gives, is that other assets are also um, not in a mania, but doing quite well at the same time. Okay. So I was struck when I read about the tulip mania in particular, because that's one of the more famous ones, that it wasn't just tulips. Tulips kind of sucked in the... Um, butcher and the baker and the candlestick Uh maker. And then the rest of the wealthier class was already making money off of stocks. And uh, real estate had spiked in that same decade. And they were all investing in canals, apparently, in the infrastructure. And so everyone was getting rich at the same time, not just off of tulips, but off of these other asset classes because the money was more widely available and was flowing through the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing that now because while Bitcoin is going crazy, the stock market isn't too shabby right. either. Right. I mean, this is what I get kind of annoyed at that everybody's suddenly, you know, all into Bitcoin and they're taking out home equity mortgages. And yet you have. Tons of stocks. Like I was just I just heard on TV this morning that Boeing is up almost ninety percent year to date. That wow. isn't even just over the last couple of years. That's Boeing, this big, you know, huge, massive company that you wouldn't think. How do I get ninety percent? And that is like an extraordinary return mm-hmm. for one year. And then I looked at a couple others, 10 cent. One of the Chinese Fang stocks is up 106. Okay, that's a little more speculative. And then Exact Sciences, someone brought this one to my attention. That's the ticker EXAS. They're up now 280% year-to-date. They were up 350% Mm. at one point, and no one is talking about it. I guess for me, I feel like that's a real—for all these stocks, it's very bullish that nobody's going into a mania or taking out home equity loans to buy the stock market. Um, but this is a sign of what Kindleberger has said that other asset classes, in addition to the mania one, you know, we see it in the art world with that $450 million Da Vinci that just sold housing is at new highs in the United States. Like we are kind of seeing the similar circumstances. Yeah. You
0: know, last week I was excited about the launch of futures just because I thought it would bring some some new market structure. I mean, that's what yes. derivatives are. Always provide they, they they enhance whatever economic asset you're dealing with. So futures options. Next week is the launch of the CME futures contract. That one will also be interesting because it is a bigger contract. The CBOE contract was one bitcoin per contract, so just dollar per dollar. You know, same as with the price of bitcoin. Whereas the CME one will give leverage that isn't there before. So so for a certain amount of you know a security deposit of some kind that the exchange calls performance bond. Firms will be able to come in there and control five Bitcoins at a time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's, When is
1: that supposed to launch? uh,
0: Monday, the 18th. Okay. Yeah.
1: Both of those stocks, by the way, are a way to play kind of if you want to just stay in stocks and not do the Bitcoin currencies themselves. Mm -hmm. So CME is CME, the ticker. CBOE is CBOE. And they've
0: they've always been central to financial markets because whatever financial markets do, these derivatives... Exchanges are going to sort of follow and build things on top. You know, I want to say I mentioned Bitcoin fifty thousand before next yeah. year. I don't want to encourage anybody to r- rush <laughs> out and buy it because the, yeah. the volatility will still be extreme. I mean, they could run this up to twenty thousand, and then it could have a thirty percent correction. Yeah, so, we've seen a couple of those already. Yeah, there's going to be extreme volatility here. One piece of fundamental analysis that I that's quasi fundamental is I I got this from um, Tom Lee. Who is at Funstrat? He says, "Well, what if you looked at Bitcoin as an alternative to gold, and the gold market might be worth over seven trillion? If Bitcoin, you know, takes five percent of that at its current market cap, Bitcoin could trade the 25000 Okay. And to me, that seems pretty realistic. Yeah. I, yes. I'm not, I'm not a believer in holding or owning gold to begin with. So okay. So, and I think a lot people that are younger than me, you know. Probably feel the same way. Yeah, like, yeah. They're like, not going to buy gold. gold no. Give me something digital, right?
1: <laughs> Give me <a> that's digi- <laughs> right. <laughs> Has to be on my phone, dang it, right. or I don't like it. Yeah, that's a good point. So what can people do to avoid getting hurt here? I guess that's my main concern.
0: I mean, in, it, it takes a long time to become a good trader. When I was first on the trading floors at, at the CME over 20 years ago, I would watch traders and learn what the good ones were doing. And you learned it, it was, you know self discipline, having control of your emotions, having a trading plan. Those are things that somebody can tell them to you and try and teach them to you, but you still have to learn through your mistakes. Yeah. So there's money, the tuition to become a good trader is the losses you make where you oh my gosh, here I am. I'm jumping in and out. I I don't have a plan. I'm getting emotional. That's how, you know, but that's how you learn. So there is no other way to learn to become a trader. And so I would say People need to be be aware. You need to be self-aware of your emotions when you're trading. Have a plan. I talked about this last week. When it comes to futures and any kind of leverage, you always have to have your exit in mind before you enter a trade. It's what somebody taught me 25 years ago. You always make your second trade first. In other words, where's my risk that I can tolerate? Where would I get out? And where do I want to take my profit? And always make sure that that ratio is at least two to one.
1: Yeah. That's
0: um, but yeah, you, you, have to, you have to have a plan so that when in the heat of the moment, when you're staring at the screen and the red and green lights are flashing you know, and you're getting excited, well, I should probably just stick to my plan instead of chasing this. Or panicking. (laughs) Is
1: there any way to avoid being Newtoned? then? Like a getting out, sticking to your plan, but then it keeps running and then you feel it's like this urge. It's like trying, this happened during the dot-com boom, like it's still going up and you think maybe I need to get in. I can still make some more money. If a
0: family member came to me and said, hey, I want to put a thousand or $10,000 in this, I would say, okay, how much do you need that money?
1: Yeah. How much are you willing yeah, to lose? And how soon? I mean, okay.
0: What if you could never see that money again? Yeah. And you know, if it was my dad or, or something, he'd go, eh, I'll take a shot. <laughs> yeah. You know, but sure. if, but if it's a you know a, a cousin or a, a younger sibling and right. this, You're about I, to I thought this is money they, a yeah, house or a car yeah, or something. Like, no, you don't put yeah. that in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's what we teach people about the stock market. You yeah. Know, what's your time horizon? What's right. your risk tolerance? What are you, what are your goals?
1: What about possible Bitcoin ETFs? If those ever come into fruition, is that a better way to go for most people?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, two fund companies this week resubmitted their applications to have ETFs on Bitcoin Futures, so those should now that we have a Bitcoin Futures contract, right. those should have some chance of success. But I mean, the volatility I mean, the volatility is going to be easier to stomach in an ETF, I right. would imagine.
1: But it'll it could yeah. still be severe. Yeah, sounds like okay. Well, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this topic many times in 2018 because uh, it started off with pot stocks being super hot at the beginning of the year, and now those are kind of fading away. And now we have this new this new excitement going on um, in the cryptocurrency. So. Who knows what will develop? We will keep an eye on it. And if you're interested in actually buying some stocks instead, a couple that we mentioned Tencent, TCEHY, I actually own that in my personal portfolio. Boeing is BA, um, Exact Sciences is exas the cme is cme and the cboe is the cboe
0: and i own nvidia because they make the um parallel processing chips that run cryptocurrency mining machines
1: right and that's (laughs) nvda uh so yeah there's a lot of different ways you can kind of play in on the cryptos oh we
0: should mention overstock i overstock you know is doing a lot of stuff with blockchain that i didn't even realize Until I read the article about Morgan Stanley taking an 11% stake in the company. Yeah. As of November 30th, Morgan Stanley announced an 11% stake in Overstock, uh, which means they like what this company is trying to do with blockchain, I'm assuming.
1: Yeah. I have heard, um, at least in my Twitter feed, some rumors of some other retailers Taking black or taking the cryptocurrencies, but they're charging thirty to forty percent premium. Oh boy. Because they're afraid of the volatility and all yeah. of the other stuff that goes with it. So right now it doesn't seem like it's making a very good currency at the moment.
0: Right. And there's a lot of scams out there too. Yeah. I talked about this last week. There's all these altcoins and initial coin offerings. I mean, the SEC just finally stepped in and made a statement this week, yesterday, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Hey, be careful. But they're kind of being hands off. Like, hey, you they know They are. Try, do what you want, just be careful. And you really do have to be careful because yeah. there's there's yeah. there are some scams out there.
1: Yeah, and I hate to say this as we finish up, but the scams and the swindles are another sign of the mania. <laughs> and there's a whole chapter in the mania's Panics and Crashes books about the swindles and the scams. So keep that in mind when you're um, thinking about this area. So yeah, we'll be back again to talk more about this. And you can also check out our other Bitcoin podcast. Dave and I did one um, in November of 2017 that was just on how to invest in Bitcoin and the blockchain, which included some of the stocks we just mentioned here. and then Kevin has done a whole bunch of Bitcoin, um, podcasts, including you were predicting it was going to 20,000 before zero. You had that podcast just a couple weeks ago. Just
0: based on the mania aspect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you can check that out on his podcast, which you really should be listening to. It's mind over money. You can get all of these on, um, iTunes. Be sure to tune in over there and subscribe so that you never miss an episode and I'll see you again next time.